Hello, everyone, and welcome to Crunch Squad, a podcast within a podcast where we dissect the rules, mechanics, and number crunching of the wonderful game that we all just love, Dungeons and Dragons. I am Jacob, not the normal host of Crunch Squad, mind you, but I am here today because the host has become the hosted. Yep, that's how it happened. Perfect. <laughs> the hosted. Ned's here. Ned's here. How you doing, Ned? I'm doing great. I spent the morning hiking in Harriman State Park just west of Yellowstone, and I'm very sunburned. Awesome, 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 awesome. Oh, boy. I was actually outside today as well for a little bit of time, and I might be a little sunburned in spots. I took my kids to a splash pad today. So. Oh, beautiful. Yep. Not as not as physically arduous as yours. Yours requires, you know, hiking, getting the adrenaline. Mine is sitting in a shaded tent while my kids <laughs> try and splash water on me. So, you know. There's a little bit of a difference there. But yeah, how on brand that I got sunburned today and booyah, my subclass is all about burning people. Yes, it is. It is because Ned, obviously, as many of our listeners know, is a druid. That is the class. But every class is a subclass, something that they can dive more specifically into. And Ned's, I have to say, is very unique. That's because you can't find it in most research. I believe it's a homebrewed subclass or it, it's created kind of on the side by uh, another group. Is that correct? Yes, this is a third-party subclass. It comes from an adventure called Odyssey of the Dragon Lords, which, uh, based on its title, you might be able to discern, is a Greek mythology-themed adventure. This was kickstarted a year before uh, Wizards of the Coast released Mythic Odysseys of Theros, but it was written by a couple guys who used to work at Bioware. So, like, the guy who wrote the first two Baldur's Gate games is the guy who wrote this D&D adventure. Oh my gosh, I love those Baldur Gate games. That that just takes back to a little meet and greek thing of how we all get geeky and where our past comes from. That's awesome. That's awesome. And this subclass is called the Circle of Sacrifice. Google it. Yes. Look it up. It's pretty interesting. Now, I guess the first question for you is before we get to kind of the breakdown of what this offers and what you can do with it, is why this class or why this subclass specifically why was this the one that kind of drew you in more than all the other things, both in kind of official Wizards of the Coast and all the other things you can find online? Why this one in particular for you, Ned? So with Odyssey of the Dragon Lords, they made a subclass for each of the main classes that had kind of a Greek theme to it. And this one in particular, I loved the versatility of it. You know, the Circle of the Moon Druid is the one that it's like, if you're going to play a Druid, that's probably the one to go with because you can wild shape into crazy powerful stuff right off the bat. But I wanted something that was a little more unique and something that gave me some more support options, something that gave me some more healing options. And I also just love the flavor of it. So this being the Circle of Sacrifice, it's themed around the real-life druids from kind of the era of ancient Greece. And this might be a bit of an esoteric pull. Not many of our American listeners have probably heard of the comic book series Asterix and Obelix. It was written in France, if I recall correctly, and is more popular in Europe. I have no idea how I discovered it because I grew up in <laughs> Idaho. But there's this wizard in that comic book named Getafix, and he's this man with a white robe and a long white beard, and he carries around a sickle, and he chops down sprigs of mistletoe to make his potions out of. Very much this classical IRL druid sort of vibe. 
And so all of the mechanics of this have to do with that original druidic idea of being priests, being people who sacrificed to the gods on behalf of their people. I think that's so hilarious because often, not often, but every once in a while, we always randomly make Fleeple, not make Fleeple, but say Fleeple's a cleric and it's like, Mm -hmm. nope, nope, Fleeple's a druid. But this subclass kind of, I guess, leans to why we're all having that Freudian slip is because it is a very priest-like subclass. I mean, just on the surface, as I have the page up here, the description, just I'm going to read the first couple sentences saying, Druids of the Circle of Sacrifice believe that nature connects one to the entire universe, including the stars and the astral void between planes. They know that immutable laws have been set down by great powers of the universe and that sacrifices must be made to these powers in order to keep the balance. So, Ned, what sacrifices is Fleeple making? <laughs> oh, well, you know, every so often he immolates somebody. And, That's right. <laughs> you know, that becomes the penance from this child of sin, as it were, in that prayer that I used to say a lot, but have not said very much lately. But it goes back to, you know, our very first episode, I think, when I first used my emulation feature. You are right. That was when, I think that's when both me and Mickey and our counterparts, obviously, that were playing, Lance and Malamara, when we really was like, holy crap, this guy's not just <laughs> not just like your little kobold who's also like, I do spells, but it's like, oh, he's doing crap. Tell us about that specific. That's the first really feature we were introduced to. Literally, episode one was the immolation feature happening at level two. You get that at level two. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's part of the ritual of sacrifice, and we're very fortunate that Thomas let us start at level 2 instead of level 1, because level 1 is the pits in 5e. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there are a couple things that come with the ritual of sacrifice. First, you automatically know the produce flame cantrip, and what's even better, when you cast produce flame, you can add your wisdom modifier to the damage roll, which is amazing for cantrips and just for spells in general. Because, you know, if you're attacking somebody with a dagger or with a bow and arrow, you get to add your strength or your dexterity modifier to the appropriate type of attack. But spells don't often get to add your modifier to them. Yeah, your roll is your roll normally, but here it's different. Yeah, so it's a very punchy cantrip right off the bat. And then you have the immolation feature, which is whenever you reduce a creature to zero hit points, I can choose to immolate them as a sacrificial offering. The creature is engulfed in fire, and every ally within 60 feet of the immolated creature gains the effects of the bless spell for one minute, concentration not even required. Woof. Yeah, you've heard that used to pretty good effect already in the podcast, a few episodes that I've used it. Uh, I can use it a number of times equal to my wisdom modifier per short or long rest. So yeah, it's a really amazing support ability right off the beginning because not needing to concentrate on a buffing spell like that is huge. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, and just as a reminder for our listeners, the bless spell, in case you don't have your book right on you, is again where you can bless up to, well, it says in the thing originally three creatures, but according to this kind of modified immolation feature, it says, again, that you are doing this to every ally within 60 feet every ally, not just three. Now, there's only three of us in this campaign, but if we have a couple tag-alongs like we did previously when Heather and Caleb joined us, uh, Brick and Mortar, you can get everybody if everyone's close by you. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing that, again, it says whenever a target makes an attack roll or a saving throw, you get to add the D4. It's, you got this sport, but Mm -hmm. it's just there. (laughs) 
yeah. for the whole minute. Yeah, and I've mentioned before kind of the difficulty of concentration spells being a druid is there's so many great spells, but so many of them require concentration, and you can only have one concentration spell up at a time, except for this guy. <laughs> This guy, yeah, that is such a unique feature that you are just allowed to do it, no concentration required. But to be fair, there's a trade-off. It's also freaking terrifying because mm-hmm. <laughs> you are literally in. It's not just like, oh, I hit him with fire and he kind of died from that last wound. It's oh no, he's on or they are the enemy is on fire, burning to basically ash mm-hmm. to be able to give us this blessing. <laughs> yeah, so it's. Uh, definitely ties into some of the moral zealotry and moral grayness that Fleepel had uh, early on in the campaign, especially. But yeah, and as we get into the higher levels, a D4 doesn't make as big of a swing as it does at the lower levels. It's still helpful, but yeah, especially at those low levels, being able to add those D4s was a huge thing for us. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, even so... Getting to the higher levels, yeah, D4 is not like the, you know, the most powerful thing, but that can be the difference between, you know, hitting an armor class or being under an armor class. If you were just like, oh, I needed one point away or just one little extra bump, hey, immolation's right there for you if, if you're in the right circumstance. So mm-hmm. I, I know, I think I, I, it would be interesting to go back and see how many times you've used immolation because you've used it a handful of times and how many times also those little ads have maybe helped us out a little bit it'd be interesting to go back and check all that out yeah and i'm thinking to myself i haven't used this very much recently i'm not sure how many enemies i've reduced to zero hit points lately actually now that i think about it that's true but i mean to be fair thomas has gosh thomas step up your dming here but thomas (laughs) Thomas has faced us with a bunch of big bads by themselves for a couple of times uh we had obviously uh, we had the Beholder that we fought, mm-hmm. kind of the the book campaign, which he had a couple of side guards, but I believe you were in the main room, so you weren't really battling those side guards much. And then after that, we really, we like murdered a geth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we, uh, we kind of went down into the dungeon and as, don't want to spoil it, well, I guess you should be caught up if you're listening to this episode. We fought the ghost and then we have... I mean, we might have a couple other more things to fight, but they're very much there. They, there, there's going to be hopefully more opportunities in the future for us to, to get multiple enemies so Filippo can get out this feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like with the Beholder, sure, I quote unquote defeated the Beholder, but it's That's true. It's specific here. You have to reduce the creature to zero hit points to get the immolation, and that's true. That Beholder <laughs> still has a true. lot of hit points when <laughs> we beat him. That's true. Good old sloth beholder. Who yeah. knew? Po- I bet Polymorph is the bane of so many, so many DMs' existence. Just oh my cause. gosh. The amount of times it's been used against me as a DM, it feels surprisingly good to pull it on another DM for once. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's keep going with some of these awesome features because the next one has to do with what you mentioned previously, and we've noticed Fleeple using this more and more, is mistletoe. Mistletoe is a really connected feature to the Circle of Sacrifice. As it says again in the brief description of this circle, it says, uh, Druids of the Circle of Sacrifice are sometimes keepers of the old ways, and they revere mistletoe as a sacred plant connected to the infant power of the astral plane. And Fleeple has a cool little extra thing so that he can make sure he has some mistletoe. What's that extra thing you got recently? That moonsickle? 
Yes, the moonsickle. Isn't that the thing that gives you something to do with mistletoe? So this is a bit more thematic than mechanical, but so yeah, the way that the ritual of mistletoe works, this is the feature that I was super excited about for from the beginning because it adds me so much versatility. So I have this little pouch full of mistletoe sprigs that I've been collecting with my sickle. Uh, each one represents a D4. I have a number of D4s equal to my druid level. And on my turn, I can use a bonus action to expend one of the sprigs of mistletoe to perform one of four different rituals. And the fact that it's a bonus action is super amazing. I love that so much because it leaves my action open for bigger stuff. It's very true. It's really useful. So you've got the divining ritual, which lets me cast detect magic without using a spell slot. The healing ritual, which lets me cast cure wounds as a first level spell without a spell slot. I can't upcast that one, which would be nice, but you know what you're going to do. I've got the purification ritual, which lets me cast purify food and drink without a spell slot. And the song of the solstice, which casts heroism as a first level spell without using a spell slot. Interesting. Detect magic, cure wounds, purify food and drink, and heroism. All things you can do on a bonus action with this. Yeah. So I've got healing spells, I've got support spells, I've got utility spells, exploration spells, all of these encompassed in this little ritual of the mistletoe here. Interesting. So when it says your sprigs, I'm reading it as, as we're talking about this, your sprigs of mistletoe are representing the number of D4s equal to the druid level. Do those D4s on the side are just like good helpful reminders to you that, oh yeah, I have these things on the side? So the way that those actually come into the mechanics of it, if I cast a spell that restores hit points, I can expend any number of those mistletoe sprigs, roll those dice, and add them to the number of hit points restored. Oh, okay. So you're, we just recently became seventh level, so you have seven D4s on the side to use mm -hmm. in this case. Okay, and then, so that's for the cure wounds specifically. That wouldn't apply to the direct magic, the the divining ritual, or the heroism, correct? You, you don't use the D4s for any of those things, correct? Yeah, so it's kind of two distinct purposes. One is I can activate the ritual just by getting rid of one of those sprigs. Uh, and in that case, it doesn't necessarily matter that it's represented by a die. But when I use it to heal specifically, that's when I actually roll those dice. Interesting. Yeah, and I regain all of them after every long rest. All of them? Wow. Okay, there you go. Man, you're just stacking it. No wonder Thomas is like... I remember when us talking about your, your side thing, and at one point Thomas made a comment of like, oh boy, I got to prepare for this. Because <laughs> it, it has some unique features I've never seen in any other kind of subclass of any spellcaster. This is crazy. And so how does, so your moonsickle that you got does not have anything to do with the mistletoe. Correct. That is more just the thematics of it because I love... You know, like I said, that image of the druid with the white beard and the white robe cutting sprigs of mistletoe with the sickle. But even aside from that, having a plus one sickle to use as a magic focus is pretty, pretty nice. With that visual in mind, I think we need to get, oh, I forgot the official name of it, but we need to get that, I think it's or, or the Belf of Dwarven Kind. We need to oh, get yeah. people that so that he can officially, <laughs> <laughs> Cobalt can grow a beard and oh, have wow. that image just completed. <laughs> Dude, that would be something else, man. You hear that, Thomas? You need to make sure we find a belt of dwarven kind. Dwarven some point kind, here. and it goes to Fleeple. Even though it's all about, I think it's it has to do with helping your strength. Screw that. It's going to Fleeple, and <laughs> forget Malamara. We'll get her something else. Yeah, and you know, Lance. He already has a beard. It's barely holding onto his chin, but at least That's he already true. has one. That if if he got a belt of dwarven kind, it would just like. 
I think it would just create even more whispers of a beard and it just would <laughs> it it just would it would just it would it would cause more traction when the wind blew by that it would all just fly away and never return. So mm-hmm. it's probably a good thing it doesn't wear that. So we're we're currently at level seven right now. So you have access to the ritual of sacrifice and the ritual of mistletoe. But there's at least two other things that go into uh, the circle of sacrifice. Uh, one starting at level 10. Tell us about the Keeper of the Law. Yes. So the thematics of this, you are initiated into an ancient order of druidic judges who keep and enforce the laws of the cosmos. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. That's Flinkle's <laughs> going to be a judge of the druidic Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be so fun yeah, for you so- to play with thematically. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's already a harper, so he's kind of on the way, I guess. That's true. But yeah, the mechanics (laughs) with this, first things first, all of my sprigs of mistletoe increase from D4s to D6s. You'll love to see it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. There you go. There's There's some power to the punch right there. Then I also get my sacrificial offering, which we've seen in action a little bit. This is the one where on my turn, I can use my bonus action to choose a creature I can see, and I mark it as my sacrificial offering for the next hour. Then when any of my allies hit that creature with an attack... I can use my reaction to expend one of those sprigs of mistletoe, roll the die, and add that as fire damage to the attack of my ally. And you've done this once. Yes. When we when were fighting we the Beholder. up in the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. Oh, so you got... Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're doing there. You yeah. You got to keep that little thing. Oh, that's so fun. That's so... I remember this now. Oh, this is making me go back to Lance's thing. I remember... Because I had a level... I had a higher level thing that I wanted to do as part of my subclass, which is I got to keep a soul in, like, a stone that I got. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we're going to kill this freaking boulder, and I'm going to get it in a stone. And then you <laughs> polymorphed it. <laughs> Surprise. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't get to do that, but this is amazing because it's a sloth. But... Mm-hmm. <laughs> But that's so awesome that you actually got to kind of have a preview of this, and then Thomas took it away. Yeah, and we didn't get to the second part of this because, again, we didn't reduce the Beholder to zero hit points. But this is, as long as I have a creature marked as my sacrificial offering, usually it has to be me that reduces it to zero hit points to get the immolation feature. When they're my sacrificial offering, it can be anybody that reduces it to zero hit points, and then I can activate the immolation feature. Interesting, because you've already marked it for the sacrifice, so it's almost yours, even though someone else kills it. Indeed. Interesting, interesting. And then there's one more part of this also, the the restoration ritual. Yes, this is a fifth ritual that I can power with my sprigs of mistletoe. I can use an action to expend two sprigs of mistletoe to cast Lesser Restoration. Wow. And Lesser Restoration does what specifically? I know there's you, you got to be careful because you don't want to cast the wrong one. Greater obviously covers all the other things, but Lesser covers very specific. What what does Lesser cover again? Yeah, Lesser Restoration is kind of a Swiss army knife of, you know, restoring a creature to some form of wellness. And the specific things it can do are... Oh, I just pulled it up. It can... There we go. Touch a creature. Uh, it can cure it of a disease or a condition afflicting it, like blindness, being deafened, paralyzed, and poisoned. Okay. Interesting. So you can just have that. So if we're in like the middle of a boss fight, you cast your sacrificial offering. One of us gets blinded or deafened or paralyzed. If the thing dies and you hadn't done that, then we're like, oh, either Fleeple had to prepare lesser restoration. Like if Lance gets blinded, for instance, maybe in the future and Mm -hmm. and you don't have lesser restoration on you, 
I'm screwed, I'm blinded, that's gonna be terrible if we're in the middle of like a dungeon crawl, but at level 10, you'd be able to possibly do this and that would be a kind of a back pocket save for in the middle of maybe an epic dungeon crawl or kind of a quest. Yeah, and in the verbiage of Lesser Restoration, it can be any uh, condition that's afflicting a creature. So that could even be something like if we're fighting against a wizard and it casts Hold Person on Lance or Mal and you guys are paralyzed, I can walk up with my mistletoe and use that oh to remove the paralyzed condition. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, and, and I think I just made a mistake referencing this. This is not when uh, you reduce it to zero hit points. It can be any time mm-hmm. at level 10. Yes, okay, because they're two separate. Even though they're both part of the Keeper of the Law, they are separate separate mechanics there. Interesting. Oh, that's even better. That's even better. Yeah, than it is. Wow. Yeah, we're, we're seeing why I'm so enamored with the subclass. There you go. Fleeple's going to be definitely making a DM struggle to, to take us down with more and more of these benefits going our that's way. That's the idea. Oh, boy. All right. Wow, that's really cool. The last one. The last one. Or, or the last one that's marked, obviously, on the page for this specific subclass. There are other ones that are part of the Druid that we went in previously and people can look up easier. But this one is the Astrological Wisdom. Oh, boy. 14th level. Tell us about this. Yeah, and this also ties into the IRL lore of druids that they study the stars, they study the astrology. And so you have studied the stars and memorized the pathways that connect the material plane to the astral plane. First things first, my sprigs of mistletoe increase to D8s, and I gain access to the teleportation circle spell, and I always have it prepared. Oh my gosh, that's... That's OP. That's, oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> well, that's 14th level, baby. It's time for yeah, well, that's true. characters to be OP. Yeah, that, that's when you that's when you be, that's when you become golden gods, I guess. Don't you? <laughs> mm-hmm. you're, you're starting to really step up into the big leagues. That's awesome. So you have teleportation circle always prepared. You can always get us places. Tele, or in teleportation circle, you have to, I believe, for that, have a connecting circle. That's where you kind of do the, the wizard-like thing where you have circle connections and you've been allowed into different circles across the realm. Is that correct in my understanding? Correct. And the other part of this feature that really helps with that is called the stone circle feature. And this ties into like, you know, Stonehenge who built that? It was the Druids because they were using it to chart the stars and that kind of stuff. It was a kobold named Fleeple. That's who it was. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Fleeple invented Stonehenge. TM, TM, TM. Um, So the way that this works is I can spend 12, I can spend eight hours and 12,000 gold pieces if I want to basically build Stonehenge. I inscribe these standing stones with druidic sigils. Uh, each stone is 10 feet tall and weighs one ton. <laughs> How does Fleeple do that? <laughs> Magic, baby. I like that it just says, you may spend eight hours and this amount of gold to construct it. Like, if this happens, Mal and Lance are just sitting on the side being like, what is happening? Just seeing, like, Fleeple, like, <laughs> hauling stone on his shoulders, like, ah, oh, I'm going to build this. And what, so what's the benefit? You're hauling all this stuff, 10 feet tall, weighing one ton, holy crap. And then that stone circle becomes a permanent anchor location for my teleportation circle. I can always go back to that location by casting teleportation circle. Interesting. That's great. And it's, oh my, and a permanent anchor location. Wow. Yeah, because normally when you cast teleportation circle, you have to like draw the circle on the ground Mm -hmm. with your chalk. And when you use it, it consumes that circle. But this 
always is there. So it's like a home base that we can always go back to with that teleportation circle spell. Oh my gosh. So yeah, whenever the whenever the jank squad gets a home base, who knows what that'll be. <laughs> yeah, I'll just be over there in the corner summoning, summoning pillars of earth out of the ground. <laughs> somehow, somehow, I'm not saying this isn't a spoiler because we haven't even done this, but somehow I imagine our home base will become the inn where we all met. <laughs> somehow oh that we're going to all go back there. Filippo's going to buy the place. <laughs> yeah, Bevan, sorry. Uh, I made more money as an adventurer than I ever could have hoped to make working for you. This is my tavern now. <laughs> Bevan, look at, look at me. Look at me. It's my tavern now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm the innkeeper now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Man, this thing has a lot to pack. And these are some very unique things, too, as we see in a lot of different subclasses. Every subclass has, in any class itself, has very unique features. But some of them tend to cross over each other, where you're like, oh, okay, this is wild shape, but a different thing to do, or more accessibility to it. Or, oh, okay, like as a druid, I know there's the, again, I'm I'm messing up my druid uh, subclasses here, but there's the one where you can have more access to different uh, spells, uh, according to mm-hmm. like Circle if you're of the a land. land druid or a sea druid, and and but you see that a lot. Like clerics have that, where clerics are like, oh, if I'm this type of cleric, I can access these different kinds of spells. This is very unique. I have not seen this kind of subclass in almost any other class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say for any of you who are hearing this and you're liking what you're hearing and you want to try it out, this is included in, if you go to like DriveThruRPG and search Odyssey of the Dragonlord's Player's Guide, you can download it for free. It can it includes a bunch of lore about the world of that campaign, but it also includes all 12 of these subclasses. And some of my favorites, there's The Bard has the College of Epic Poetry, where you write this poem about your friends as they're exploring. And the longer your poem gets, the more powerful your bardic inspiration gets. Or there's the, for the Amazons, the Circle of the Amazon, no, for the Ranger, the Circle of the Amazons, where you can like get Xena Warrior Princess stuff where you've got a chakram that you're bouncing off of people. (laughs) Or like Wonder Woman, you can deflect arrows with your bracers. Then one of Probably the coolest one thematically is for the paladin, the Oath of the Dragon Lord. You just become a dragon rider. Oh my gosh! You you be- <laughs> you basically start playing the game Dragonborn, or not Dragon. You become the Dragonborn of of uh, Elder Scrolls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! The the the, the DLC of, of Elder Scrolls. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow, this is a really cool. And again, w- let, let's just give a shout out again to to who made this. Yes, it is published by Modifius Entertainment, written by James Olin and Jesse Skye. Just a whole bunch of great stuff in here. I am in love with it. This is crazy. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm probably going to geek out and after we get off this, look up things. Do they have one for a rogue by chance? Yes, the Odyssean. Oh, Odysseus. Okay, now Ned's got me excited. I am, I for those who don't know, I am a, I am a history geek. And so this thing where he's <laughs> like, it's like, it's kind of tied to Greek mythology. I was like, mm, 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 you don't okay. say. All right, all right. I can jive with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, this is awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ned, for telling us all about this. Do you have any other, any other things that you want to talk about just with how much this specific subclass has really expanded and kind of maybe broadened your gameplay of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, definitely. Because like I said, uh, Circle of the Moon is so easy to just default to for Druid. 
And in fact, I mentioned in my Meet and Geek episode that Fleeple was a character that I'd used very briefly in another campaign that Thomas had run that Jacob and I were in the first time we played D&D together. And in that campaign, he was a Circle of the Moon Druid because it's OP. <laughs> um, but this has really opened my eyes up to even more the versatility of being able to come up to a problem and basically just say, oh, I know that I have something in my bag of tools that can fix this problem. Whether it's through my spellcasting, whether it's through my class abilities or my subclass abilities, I can figure out a way to make this work, essentially. This is crazy. You just, I think that's, it's so, Fleeple is the wild card, really. Because <laughs> there's so many things that a druid by themselves can do. Wild shape, uh, obviously very different spells than a lot of other classes. And now throwing this in, you can be proud of yourself, Ned, that you oh, are definitely you. giving Thomas headaches. <laughs> <laughs> to make oh, this. man. Well, he gives me headaches in improv tabletop, so it's a mutual headache-giving <laughs> sort of situation. You're like, all right, Thomas, well, I'm going to pull out this feature next time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I will like to point out, though, that Fleeple obviously is our is our local constable. He's always either good cop or bad cop, and either Mal or mm-hmm. Lance have to bounce off of him. But with this class, you're not a cop. You're a judge now. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so you will be you will be the cop, the judge, the jury, and with immolation, the executioner. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Right again, Ned, thank you so much for kind of diving into your subclass with us. We encourage everyone to go check this out. Go check out the Circle of Sacrifice and all the other different subclasses that are offered in this package that Ned referenced to. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of I Cast Fireball with our special episode of Crunch Squad. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed talking about the mechanics, just the overall awesomeness of our classes and subclasses from wherever you get your podcast from please leave us a review it helps boost our ratings throughout each podcast service and it puts our show into other people's recommended feeds and it lets us know what you like about what we're doing you could also email us if you want to write something a little longer than a review at icastfireball2020 at gmail.com we encourage you to please send us those emails we love to hear from you also write us a review as well we love to hear from you and we want to not only shout you out on this podcast but we want others to see that kind of pop up in their feed as well so they can read your words from you now to get the most up-to-date recent content please follow us on instagram and twitter at the handle icastfireball20 there you can get sneak peeks of upcoming episodes interesting insight from the players or dm maybe even some behind the scenes things that we've been doing like maps or we have some bloopers that we might be you know we might be showing off a couple times. We have shown one, <laughs> and they're they're fun. We might we might start doing that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Just a quick shout out to our sister podcast. I wonder what that one is. Oh yeah, it's Improv Tabletop with again your resident Cobalt Ned here. Ned here, who is the GM of that? Where they run through mini campaigns on the Fate Accelerated Tabletop system, and they have this ongoing Avatar story adventure that's just epic and awesome, and it's 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 incredible. You have to go check it out. You have to go check it out. Just amazing storytelling. So fun. So interesting. So engaging. Whether you like tabletop games, improvisation, or again, you want to hear from Ned, again, go give that a listen. Lastly, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends and fellow wacky adventurers. Until next time, I'm Jacob. And I'm Ned. 
<laughs> Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Keep the fire going, and we'll see y'all next time.